Hello and welcome to Damsels in Discussion, where we analyze pop culture from a funny feminist foulmouth perspective. We are going to be talking about two action-packed episodes of Mad Men and Game of Thrones with lots of badass ladies. There were lots of high kicks. We're really excited. So let's dig into it. I'm Shannon in Oakland. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So let's start with the end of Game of Thrones. Oh my god. Daenerys <laughs> makes her move and I seriously, like when she said her like Harry Potter Dracarys spell or whatever and burn that guy, I didn't even know that I was just punching the air like an end of an 80s movie, just so excited. <laughs> and I had to like pause and bring myself down and focus on what was actually happening because it's so awesome. I um, think I went to a fugue state of excitement. <laughs> I was just shouting at the TV, high kicks, fist pumps, everything. It was like so amazing. You know, as, as usual, I knew what was coming, but seeing it actually played out was so fantastic. And um, I really, I love the way that it was all kind of underplayed, you know, like she's just biding her time and then she just starts shouting in high Valerian and it's over. She's just great. I am Daenerys Stormborn. Talk about a kick-ass name. Yeah. Stormborn? <laughs> Come on. Don't fuck with anybody with that name. <laughs> no, it was really, really great. And what she yells is Dracarys, which is the name of her dragon. I thought it was just some type of command. I didn't know it was a name. I also thought it was a Harry Potter spell. I will add the dragon's names to the chart of characters that I have to make. <laughs> yes, there are three dragon names, and I can't remember the other two because my brain doesn't work that well anymore. But Dracarys is one of her dragons, yes. But, you know, I love that her mother tongue is High Valerian. She was so underestimated. They were like, you speak another language, but you're a girl. And then, you know, the whip drop. Yeah. The mic drop. drop. I'm out, bitches. Yeah. That was really. She was like, got revenge. She's like every waitress that wants to get revenge on the gross customer. You know, (laughs) she's like, I know exactly what you've been fucking saying. I took your badass translator and now I'm killing you and all of your buddies. Yeah, I also f- expected this to happen, but it was just so satisfying. And there's so few times where you're expecting something and it's just as satisfying. Yeah. And, you know, like like her her old man advisors, you know, are all like, you can't give away a dragon. And she's like, do not contradict me in public. I can't imagine her ever being defeated. I just can't. I mean, she, seeing her grow into this warrior, she seems so much stronger than all the other people, even Rob. Well, let me just say that politics is complicated. (laughs) I am a little worried because, you know, not to rain on the awesome parade, I think she's probably slightly naive on just, like, setting free all the 8,000 unsullied and then thinking she can, you know, have her cake and eat it too with her slave army and her free army. I feel like that might be a little more complicated than she anticipates. But we'll see. I think that I think that part of her soft spot seems to be that she just like she feels bad for the children, you know, and she feels bad for the slaves. And I I don't know how ruthless she can be when it's not so clear cut. She doesn't have the stomach for war. You know, she can eat a raw heart, but can she, like, put a sword through someone's heart? I don't know. 
I think she can put a sword through someone's heart, but I think, yeah, it's about but they that. Have, she wants them to deserve it, and not everyone's going to deserve it. Well, she was basically a slave. I mean, her brother controlled her, manipulated her, abused her, and then sold her. You know, I mean, she, I think she has a soft spot because that's where she began. We'll see. She's got 8,000 uh, soldiers. CGI soldiers. CGI her soldiers, around. yes. And uh, she's on her way. And uh, I'll say no more. <laughs> well, okay, I hope well, a let's... dragon kills Joffrey. It's just all I hope for. <laughs> I want a blooper reel of Joffrey being killed in like 18 different ways. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome <laughs> idea. Or just like every character's revenge fantasy against Joffrey. And they all, all kill in him one. the way that they want, they've dreamed of. Well, and speaking of of Joffrey, of course, the other awesome woman is Marjorie. Oh my plays god, plays him her. like a fiddle. I mean, it's unbelievable, and the actress is so fantastic. She's just great. She like scrunches her nose this way and that way, and it's like she's a pleasure to watch. And I I'm a little surprised because she seemed very one note when she first showed up and was just Renly's beard or whatever. Um, and I didn't realize that there were big plans for that character because there was just so many characters happening. And God, she's fun to watch. Just really fun to watch. She She's so fun to watch. And, but I feel like, and you know, I have to say, like, I love the scene with her and Sansa because I really want to believe that they're going to be besties, you know? And Sansa really oh. needs someone powerful to take care of her. But you know with Sansa's history, like, do you really think she's going to be like... No. Um, it's only going to end bad for Sansa, but that scene did touch my heart because seeing Sansa just just eating up these kind words because she hasn't had them in so long. You know, she's starving for any type of friendship or comforting words from someone. It was very heartbreaking because, you know, it's just not going to end well. Yeah, and I don't know. And with Baelish plotting, I don't know what, taking her to... <laughs> What's her name? Lisa? To, to Lysa in the Vale. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I don't know, going to like marry both of them or something? I don't know what his plan is. That line of um, Varys's about him is great, though. The He would see this country burn if he could be king of the ashes. That's a really great line. And and like I, it, it, the, the idea that Sansa is like the second most important person in Westeros, you know, like if Rob goes, then she is the Starks and she is Winterfell. It's kind of amazing how that. I I never happened. thought about that. I just have to say, never thought about it. Nor do I think Sansa has, because she could be, yeah, you know, having little spies and gaining power and things, and instead she's just crying in a corner. So the scene where Varys and Lady Oleana are plotting to like marry her off, and they're sort of like, well, there's an obvious solution, kind of thing, and then they just sort of walk off. It's very interesting. So so that I think so that. Baelish can't take her away. Well, marrying Loras doesn't sound like a bad idea. Right. And I think it's kind of a secret power play on the Tyrells because they seem to go whichever way the wind is blowing. So if the Lannister wind dies out and the Starks take control, well, then they have Sansa married to one of their family members, you know? Right. Although I I don't know if they're going to get away with that. But, no, right. It's too convenient. It's like too convenient. And it's too convenient for Sansa to marry, you know, beautiful Loras, even if he is totally gay. But, you know, that would be like too sweet of a outcome for her. Well, I don't think Joffrey's going to give her up 
and maybe Marjorie's already, you know, too confident in her power over him. Yeah, could be. I'm sure Cersei has a few things up her sleeve. I hope so, because she really, like, she got the smackdown from her dad, and I had to kind of agree with dad a little bit. I started thinking about all the times Cersei has thought she had the upper hand and then just failed. You know, she's got the the wrong prostitute kidnapped, and she almost kills herself a minute before getting rescued, and she just she's not plotting as well as she thinks she is at all. Yeah, I think a major theme of this season is going to be the slow fall of Cersei and the rise of Marjorie and just these shots that they're doing of Cersei watching Marjorie with Joffrey and Marjorie taking her place in the world as queen and that she's kind of better at manipulation than Cersei has tried to be. I feel bad for Cersei. I don't think things are going to go well for her. <laughs> Poor Jamie. I mean, that yeah. was the opening of the episode. With this severed hand tied around his neck. I mean, that was just gross and awful. I mean, talk about what you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. There are so many gross and awful people this season. It's like yeah. just gross and awful. Ugh. Yeah, and that was really awful, but he and Brienne had some really great moments. I know they're totally unlikely friends like the dog and the elephant. You know, you never think they're going to be friends. Nice. I'm really enjoying their their friendship and seeing where it goes. Yeah, I think it's great. And I, I don't remember Jamie actually having any friends. So kind of cool that he has one. Um, I don't know. Most people die. So it's kind of hard to get close to people. <laughs> That's true. You never know if your new bestie is going to get their head chopped off yeah like Arya and the butcher boy yep uh, making friends with them could be the thing that gets them killed that's right bad. that's why I was really excited about Marjorie and Sansa let's get a little let's get a little girlfriends action no I hope so <laughs> um, sounds weird <laughs> but then okay we'll, we'll cut that out um but then we've got the other group of friends uh up in the north which is Bran and Jojen yeah yeah and those scenes are really cool. I love those scenes where, where Bran is like living in his brain and running through the forest and Jojen is entering his thoughts. And it's just, I love all that mystical stuff. It's great. I too. always feel just like Bran because it takes me a second. Every time he's running around, it takes me a second to remember he's not supposed to be able to do that and that we're mm-hmm. in a dream. And I'm always disappointed all over again, just like he is when he wakes up. His uh, understanding of reality and his dream life is really kind of um, confusing, I think, because sure. he has these very like I don't he's not really dreaming. He's like having these like out of body experiences. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's like he just goes from one reality to another and they both yeah. feel completely real and. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, Varys's confession was the other main thing. That was amazing. What a good scene. I didn't even realize how interested I was to hear his backstory. You know, he kind of alludes to it. Someday I'll tell you how I got cut. Damn, what a payoff. That was so (gasps) creepy. Such a good scene. Such a good scene. That actor is so good. I actually went and looked him up online to see what he looks like in real life. And he looks nothing like Varys. He's got like this giant beard and a big head of hair. And he just looks like some other guy. 
Um, <laughs> so wonderful. And that scene is so great. And again, this is like, I remember the scene from the book and it was interesting, but it didn't have any of the power that it did watching him deliver it. And then having him open this crate that he's trying to open through the entire monologue. What yeah. a buildup, you know? And then that was... opening of the crate really added the suspense. I could watch a whole spinoff series with Varys and Lady Olena. Olena? Yeah. Give them a whole um, spies or maybe they're like a crime fighting duo. I don't know. But give them their own spinoff series because they're amazing. The spider and the thorn. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. You should write a little proposal. Be like, I'm going to tie in web series called The Spies of King's Landing. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. Write your letter to George R. R. Martin today. I'm I'm Googling fan fiction <laughs> Varus and Oh Olena. <laughs> okay, and the only things that happened on this episode that we haven't really mentioned, Theon, we'll talk about that when something actually happens, I feel like. <laughs> uh same with Arya, although she had a nice moment. I think next week's gonna be the time when the hound uh battles he has his trial by battle or whatever trial by combat yeah. and then i just have to say in the uh then there was the crows uh the night's watch guys at crossers i liked watching all hell break loose it sounds like you guys didn't care nearly as much oh. as i did <laughs> uh, i can't tell all those disgusting men with beards apart anymore you know no oh, neither can i there's just Samwell and then the rest of them. Yeah, they're just gross. And although when Mormont gets gets killed, that was really shocking that they yeah. just yeah. kill their commander like that. Um, but the rest of it, I don't care. I don't care where well, Sam goes with the gilly and the baby, and I don't care. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, how much screen time have we wasted on Sam? I mean, seriously, we've had more time with Sam than we've had with Bran. Or Arya. I mean, ugh. I'm trying to think, is he like one of George Martin's alter egos or something? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question because he doesn't, his struggle doesn't really relate to the bigger theme of the uh, mm -hmm. show so much. It really doesn't. So, you know, it, it, I don't particularly enjoy spending time with Jon Snow, but at least I understand why we are. Right. And, you know, Samuel's fine, but you're right. Like, it's, he's not relating to a bigger storyline at this point. Maybe he's going to turn out to be the greatest sorcerer in the land or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe his thimble is magic. But <laughs> we'll see. Well, if you don't like the, if you don't like the subject, let's change the conversation. So let's oh, talk about Mad Men. Oh, what? See yeah. what you did there. Did How long but... have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> um, as soon as we started talking about Samwell, <laughs> I was like, all right, I got a transition. All right, change the conversation. Well, we finally got to spend some time with Joan, and I I found most of the time that we spent with her very uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I should leave it to Brandy to do the synopsis here. <laughs> well, for those of you listening oh. at home, we are now talking about Mad Men. We are no longer in Westeros. Just, there is no character named Joan. <laughs> We've gone through the portal to the 1968 Manhattan. The office stuff was kind of hard to watch. I mean, it's not surprising that she's still being treated like just head secretary. Uh, but 
it was rough to hear Harry call her out on the way she got her promotion, even if I did sort of kind of agree with him that she shouldn't be firing his secretary without talking to him about it. I felt like we saw Joan from season one. And actually, I read Tom and Lorenzo's recap today, and they had said they were recently had watched some episodes from season one, and they agreed that this was like season one Joan of being mean to the secretaries and being a queen bee. She was Queen Bee Joan. And I think this is an interesting regression. And this whole episode felt to me, it was like, we all had to get to the line where her friend is like, you have that power and ready to seize it anyways. Doesn't matter what anybody says about you, you know? And so I think we're going to see her act very differently. But it was a struggle to see how people were acting towards her and how she was kind of embarrassed and then just being like this petty, aggressive woman to everybody. It reminded me a little bit of where uh, the the guys in the art department are drawing like yes. dirty pictures, you know? I thought about that episode a lot too. Yeah. Well, regression is obviously a huge theme of this season of Mad Men, which can be frustrating as a viewer to feel like you're just treading territory you've seen before. I'm hoping that Joan also had a revelation because she did pass on the sorts of responsibilities that make her the queen bee to Dawn. You're in charge right. of the time sheets. You're in charge of the supply closet or whatever she said. Um, and that could be interesting for both characters, definitely. I would love to see Joan a creative type or whatever, but she could easily be Ken Cosgrove if she put her mind to it. Seeing her on the account side would be so much more interesting to me than this limbo that she's in right now. I guess I assumed that she would just be taking over Lane's responsibilities because she was basically doing them anyways of kind of the accounting and just day-to-day -day management of the office. But it it is interesting when we see her, we kind of have no idea what she's working on. And then today, you know, in this episode, she's just basically head secretary again. So, yeah, handing that off to Dawn, I think we'll get to see her actually do some executive tasks, whatever that is. And she's still in that same tiny office, and she doesn't appear to have her own secretary. I mean, she's certainly not being treated like a partner or an executive. Well, I think she's going to demand it after this episode. I think that she kind of needed to be knocked down a few pegs, and then her friend just saying, it's right there, ready for you to take. And also, when Harry Crane like goes ballistic all over the place, people basically tell him to fuck off, which is, mm -hmm. you know, to Joan's benefit. You know, the partners are all like, Crane, get out of here. You're an idiot. Well, he's such a whiner. I mean, <laughs> honestly, he kind of had some good points as much as I hated hearing them. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, he's done amazing things there, but he's a whiny baby that demands it instead of, I mean, yeah, he's done it to earn it, but he's, he's just not graceful. Yeah. Although I would, I would watch the Harry Crane spinoff where he goes to Hollywood and, you know, works with Desilu Productions. Oh, my God. Well, I, I mean, do you think that Joan is going to become a mentor to Dawn or? I certainly hope so, because I was I was really glad to see some more screen time for her. And I was simultaneously frustrated that it seemed to be these scenes that are so easy to never return to. You know, we don't right. really care if her friend gets married or whatever. I'm interested in her relationships in the office and I would be interested to see her outside of the office if it felt like something that we were going to stay with. And this didn't feel like something we were going to stay with to me. So I don't know what to think so far. Well, here's my prediction. I think that they're setting up some kind of interracial romance with Don and some white guy from the office. 
Oh my God, Bob Benson. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I was gonna say Don and Ginsburg together forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, stranger yeah. things have happened. I, I just feel like, like, okay, so she talks about her her dismal romantic life and how there's right. no there are no appropriate men in the office that she's ever gonna meet. And in fact, she goes south of 72nd Street and she's the only black woman and just this this thing where she's operating in this completely different world. I don't know. That's my prediction. All my Downton Abbey predictions were completely proved false. So, (laughs) well, this one's a little bit more tame than the fascist one. (laughs) Maybe. And there's still time for that. But there is. But I, I no, I think that's a good prediction, and I, I, I don't know. The whole scenes with her friends seemed like this kind of little trick the writers were doing, where she got to say a lot of themes that are happening. Like I loved all of her observations about everybody in the office that they're all so afraid, you know, and that she's so ignored. But then when she comes, you know, to basically the white part of town, everybody notices. And and I didn't think that she thought that that was too bad. You know, maybe she likes standing out. I don't know. So I'm really fascinated by her fashion sense. And Peggy's secretary also has a black secretary who wears really light colored lipstick and these crazy polyester vest and miniskirt outfits. Yeah. It looks like she's trying to be kind of Uhura. (laughs) Peggy's secretary does. It's the right time for that too. So, <laughs> so there. I thought that was very interesting. Anyway, but um, like Don dresses so um conservatively. Right. Yeah, very frumpy. Yeah. And that actress is a bombshell, which we learned I from know. the premiere. So maybe there's gonna be like the holiday party episode where she walks in and everyone's like, "Damn!" And yeah, and she and Bob Benson make out in the like. <laughs> Oh, my God. Brandy, I just have to tell you, your disease has spread in this house. As soon as he came on the screen, both Sean and I were like, this guy, God. <laughs> he's just standing in the creative like lounge, acting like he belongs there. You don't belong anywhere, Bob. Go away. Just go change the toner and then die. God, I'm just going to call useless people around the office. That's a Bob Benson if I've ever seen one. Jeez. Oh, man. They've got to be building for something. I don't know what, but. I'm telling you, he's the one that's going to fall in love with Don. <laughs> okay. Well, and then there was someone else falling in love with our real Don, male Don. I finally got my swinger storyline. <laughs> what? I called it. Totally so called awkward. it. That dinner was hilarious. It was, it was amazing. Don just Don is like so uncomfortable with the world. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just completely ill. That you know, John Hamm had the best expressions in this in this whole show. He his the his entire story was just on his face mm-hmm. in every single scene, just staring, not saying a word, and just. Oh, the swinger scene, watching Megan do her love scene at the oh. door, listening to Peggy pitch um, at the bar. I mean, a lot of people were talking uh, in their recaps about Don listening. He's like observing a lot. He's, you know, eavesdropping, watching things from afar. This is not how old Don used to be. And seeing him kind of lose his power and then do these very shady eavesdropping things is interesting. 
Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about the season premiere and how for the first, I don't know how many minutes, he doesn't say a word. Right. He's just there observing and not saying anything. And it felt like in this episode, he was doing an awful lot of that. And what he was saying was pretty awful. So Ugh. it's over it's between him and Megan. When he shows he that calls- hypocritical side, I can't deal with it. That's when I completely am not on board with the character at all. Not even a tiny percent. I don't care about his ennui or anything when he acts like a hypocrite. Yeah. Well, I think when you call your wife a whore, it's over. And Megan is not going to put up with that. I mean, even just seeing her cry, it was kind of this cry of, it didn't seem like a Betty, she's going to cry and then live the life the next day and live the life the next day. It was a cry like, okay, I think this is broken. You should sit down, but I really liked Megan in this episode. You're on board now forever. He's good. Well, here's the thing. If she gets real storylines, you know, so I understand why she's all pouty or upset or whatever, then it's great. And this storyline in this episode was was fantastic. Um, And she was really, I I thought she was really, really good. But I don't know if their marriage is is in trouble. I don't quite read it that way. Well, this is her career that she's she really wants to have this career and he not only doesn't support it but is becoming you know verbally abusive about it and i don't know if she's gonna stand for that i think we should remember the time we spent with megan's parents last season because this is not abnormal for her this is this fighting marriage this putting up with each other marriage is something that she's seen and this berating Mm. is something she's already taken from her mother so I'm not so Good sure point. that she will run that fast, that she'll recognize an insurmountable problem that fast. That's a really, really good point. I, I think it really comes down to the Sylvia situation. Are we not done with Sylvia? Sylvia, what what was Sylvia doing in the elevator, by the way? What was that all about? She's playing something. Something. She was she was decked out. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. She She knew what she was doing. Either... Either she's banging someone else on another floor, or she she did that on purpose to see him. She really likes him, I think. Does she like him enough to commit suicide by the end of the season? Because that's my bold prediction. Ooh. Oh, because she's always in black. Now, we did already have a suicide storyline last season, obviously. Right. But this is a current that has run through Mad Men a lot. You know, everyone thought Pete was going to jump out a window at some point. Uh <laughs> And I wonder if they won't use a side character to continue exploring that rather than having to kill off one of their main characters. Or what if she becomes a murderous rage? (laughs) Seriously. I think she's just going to get dissed and then we're going to spend the whole rest of the season wondering if she's going to say something to Megan and ruin his life. But, you know, we've thought that already. You know, we just I feel like this is like just a replay of stuff we've already and we've already oh, yeah. seen him face some consequences before from an affair with uh, Bobby Barrett. Was that her name? That they got into oh, a car yeah. accident and everything. Uh, some of these have already ended badly. And some of them just peter out and he doesn't face any consequences. We've already seen most ways that an affair can play out. So that is why I keep coming up with more bold predictions for what might happen here. I just don't want to see the same thing again. I, I'm I'm bored with Dawn in general. I find all the side characters much more interesting. And the whole Heinz ketchup pitch when they open the door to see Peggy there, half high kick, because 
<laughs> I I was so shocked that they did it so early. I knew it was going to happen at some point in the season, but um, I didn't think it was going to happen so soon. And then she nails it by using words that Dawn has used before. It was awesome. It was such a great scene. I loved it. Can I just note that Brandy's um, notes in her agenda, it says, Heinz Ketchup, the plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny, too. Which yeah. would be an amazing, it would be an amazing <laughs> ad campaign. Heinz ketchup, the plot thickens. Well, and this was interesting because it was another campaign where I thought Don was really off base. The images were cool, but of course no one's gonna sign off on a campaign where their product is never seen. It's, it's just not gonna happen. It's like the hotel in Hawaii. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. same. It's the same thing. But you know, Peggy's Peggy's thing wasn't that great. I didn't think it was okay. But she knew it was what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Right. And then neither of them get the job in the end. So, Yeah, that was weird. I was confused because I thought Ted said that they had bought it in the room, but I guess he was talking about someone else. I don't know. They, was... I, I agree. I was confused, and then I read online that someone else got it. So I was like, what? Yeah, they walk into the bar, and they're and, – and, like, Don and company is like, well, maybe we're having a victory drink. And Ted is like, nope, J. Walter Thompson. They bought it oh. in the room. So uh, Maybe but... that means Peggy and Stan can still be friends? I think they are. I thought that was a place. I thought that was a playful. Yeah, I think so. I don't think Kenny's going to be fine. Kenny's really mad. He's changed. He's now like, he's turning into a Pete. He's like a businessman through and through. I think he's losing the artist part of himself. But it's funny, like with his dad, who's, um, who's the actor? Oh my God. Ray Wise. Ray Wise. I always love Ray Wise. I love that he plays his father-in-law who works at Dow Chemical. I mean, Ken is a great line. Like, they have to stop dropping napalm on children. <laughs> I mean, like, Harry Crane's pitch for a TV show that everyone thinks is a great idea. It was it's like amazing. the equivalent of a, one of these celebrity diving shows that's on now. <laughs> so awful. I, but I think that that's – like, when you see all the variety shows that were on in the 60s and 70s, it's like yeah. everyone had a variety show, so why not Joe Namath? Because Stranger yeah. People had variety shows. Right. Well, everyone was high, so it seemed like a great idea. What? Okay, predictions for, for next week's Mad Men? Someone will walk across the room pensively. <laughs> oh, Someone... I saw that in the preview. Oh, I don't, you know, we have so many characters, I just don't know who we're going to follow yeah. next time, I guess, is where why it's hard to predict. I mean. I hope we see some Sally. And I, I oh, mean, I miss, yeah. I miss Don Sally interaction. I just really want to see more Gene. You know, he's such an intriguing <laughs> character. I think we I should. Mean, him and Bobby, it's just. Gene and you Bobby. You what's going to happen. They, can, they could maybe sign on with the Night's Watch. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next on Mad Men, Gene and Bobby play with matches. Well, I, I'd like to see Joan's storyline continue. I want the momentum of this episode to push into the next one. And see what yeah. she does with that. I want to see her bust some balls. Like, stop picking on the secretaries. Bust some balls around there. I want her to demand a new office and a secretary. I thought the last outfit she wore, by the way, I love watching her clothes, you know? And the last outfit she wore, which was looks like a navy suit with a ruffled collar and wrist. That yeah, was strange. But I liked it. I thought it looked really good on her. And it was all but it closed up. Very, it seemed very old-fashioned, though. Well... Maybe more professional, more like yeah. working woman than like working woman. 
It looked very, yeah, yes. It was very closed up. You couldn't see any skin mm -hmm. or, you know, black and white colors, just like a Sylvia's nun outfits, you know, same right. color scheme. But I thought it looked good on her personally. No, I think so too. I'm just thinking about what Tom and Lorenzo are going to say is, you know, outfits that are embracing the times and outfits that aren't. Right. It, it didn't seem like I was embracing the time, but I have noticed this season she is much more covered up and, you know, trying to take you know, away from her sexuality, which is hard because she's like the sexiest woman in the world. Well, I think that the outfit she was wearing, that blue outfit with the with the open neck, mm -hmm. three quarter sleeves, that was a really cute outfit. That she ripped when she went out, which I love. <laughs> Little detail. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. That you know she had a good time. <laughs> and both women are like passed out in her bed, fully clothed. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, I that loved was really it. Great. Joan needs more girlfriends is what Joan needs. Remember yeah. she had that roommate that was hitting on her and was like in love with her? <gasps> she needs more yeah. Well, who wouldn't be? Should we do one fabulous thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, my fabulous thing is when I'm feeling stressed out, something I do a lot is just rewatch old episodes of a show I've already seen. It's like the perfect way to keep my brain on a good level. And I started rewatching some early Grey's Anatomy, and I was thinking that just like, I know, I know, it's a good show, you guys. Uh, no, early Grey's Anatomy is awesome. I'm with you. Current Grey's Anatomy is awesome, too, but I digress. Um, what I wanted there. to say is that a lot of the shows we talk about on this show are very, very white. Um, and I just want to, like, thank Shonda Rhimes for what she does with the casual diversity because on that yeah. show, it is like every episode, there's four doctors in a room chatting and like all of them are women or none of them are white. And it's completely casual. No one cares. Like, it's not that they never address gender or race because people do make assumptions based on it. But it's just like the best cardiothoracic surgeon in the country is black and it will never be brought up as a plot point like how he got there. He just is. And Shonda Rhimes and, and to some extent her partner uh executive producer Betsy Beers like this is something really important that they're doing that a lot of shows don't do um mm -hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about Scandal Scandal does that a lot as well also her show and uh just wanted to appreciate that a little since we spend a lot of time talking about white characters on this podcast definitely well I have taken a little break from the world um to get sucked into a book that was recommended to me it's called The Passage and it is a post-apocalyptic um, trilogy, but the third one's being written. And it was so compelling. It was such, I finished it late last night. <laughs> and it's one of the best books I've read in a long time, just because the author takes the time to really delve into the character stories. I mean, it's this really suspenseful, crazy post-apocalyptic world, which is always engaging, but I really admired that he took time to give these little memories or side stories to the characters, so each one was very rich. There's two really kick-ass female characters. Probably the biggest warrior character in the whole book is a woman. Warning, you will not talk to anybody for a few days, because you'll just be reading it. <laughs> Who's the author? <laughs> Justin Cronin, and um, I also read, because I was like, oh, someone's bought the rights to this, that Fox 2000 bought the rights to this film before he even finished writing it for $1.75 It's so cinematic. It'll be such a joy to watch, but it is a great, great book. So if you're on vacation and you want to just dig into a good book, I totally recommend it. It was so addictive. 
and very satisfying. My my one fabulous thing I came across last night, and apparently this uh, this club in New York did a musical Downton Abbey parody of what they assume the first episode of season four will be like, and it's full of all these Broadway stars, and it's oh um, they're all singing, um, and <laughs> it's just. You know, if you like Downton Abbey, you pretty much have to watch it because they're singing these amazing songs. And I still haven't quite figured out whether it was something that they performed and they filmed. And how did I not know that it was happening just in my own city? But or if it's something that they created just to make this crazy video of it. The the Broadway people kind of look like or are awesome parodies of the characters that they're portraying. And I will put a link to it on our website, but if you Google Downton Abbey and 54 Below, which is the name of the club, um, you will find it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Damsels in Discussion. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Basically, just send a raven out into the air with a note to us. We'll get it. We'll answer your questions. Um, We look forward to talking to you next week. The magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Little Jackie Paper loved that rascal pup and brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff. Oh, pup, the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called